God has a name. Who's enjoyed the series so far? If you're visiting, I want to tell you you've arrived to just the best time of the year here at Link Church. Not only is it the World Cup in Japan, but it is also the Yahweh series at Link. And so there's much to be excited about. And uh, if you're visiting, I want to say that um, you're going to have an awesome time with us today. You're going to be blessed, refreshed, which is what church is all about, is God's people being blessed, God's people being built up in Him. And so if you have preconceived ideas of church being a thing you have to do, today I'm going to help unravel that and say it's just something we get to do. And Jesus is for you, not against you. And I believe that He's going to bless you today. In Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be a good Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday. Here's our scripture, Exodus 34 and verse 5. We've been camping here for the last few weeks. Love it if you could read it with me now, but also go home, read it in your Bibles tonight and during the week, and just let it sink in as we journey together through the name of God. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. God has a name, and this is the name. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. Pause. The first attribute of God's name, or character under God's name that he defines for himself, not that we give him, not that somebody else has given him, not that you kind of have grown up being taught. It may be true, but the first component of Yahweh that he gives himself or attribute of his name that he helps reference for himself is that he is compassionate and gracious. Friends may not be, family may not have been, people in the world may struggle to get it right, but God is consistently all day, every day, 24-7, compassionate and gracious. That's the starting point of who He is. If you came to church thinking God's got it in for you and you're here to fix what's wrong with you and God, don't even worry about that because He's compassionate and gracious. Just be yourself and let Him love you. Amen? He's compassionate and gracious. I think I could just go back to that. Slevi preached on that last week. Rahun Vachanun. If you weren't here, go and check it out on YouTube. It was power. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. We serve an awesome God. God, I pray that as we journey through your name, Yahweh, the name above every other name, the name that we see in the life of Jesus, the fulfillment of the name Yahweh in Jesus, I just help us, ask you to help us now, Jesus, to, to see all you have for us, not to leave anything behind, not to come here today to tick a box, but to receive what heaven gives freely. I pray that you'd strengthen weary hearts, God, that you would clarify things in our mind, that you would make sense of some of the stuff that holds us back so that we could step into all you have for us, Jesus. We believe that you have good things for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anybody a little bit angered by the Springback loss last night? Just a little bit. I mean, you don't have to be serious. You don't have to, like, expose all of yourself. But you just a little bit, if you're honest, like, wives, don't nudge your husbands now. It's not the time. But I'm just saying, like, if you were watching the game and you're getting a bit frustrated and anyone angry with the ref, don't, 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 okay, we've got one honest pastor in the house. All the hands are going up. You gave everybody permission in that moment. And, uh, and so there's just this, like, okay, maybe, uh, maybe, it's with the, maybe it's with the calls that were made. Maybe it's with the decisions that were made. A little bit of anger. So I want to help you by bringing some humor on anger this morning, if that's all right. Here we go. A story is told of a woman that was bitten by a mad dog. It looked as if she was going to die of rabies. And so the doctor told her she would have to make her will up. 
Taking her pen and paper, she began to write, and she wrote, and she wrote, and she wrote, and she wrote, until finally the doctor said, this is a surely very long will that you're making here. She snorted, and she said, will nothing. I'm making a list of people that I'm about to go and bite. Any angry people here today? You got your, you got your lists, if you're honest. Tap your name and say, throw the list away. I'm going to show you how you are not on God's list today. He doesn't have it in for you. How about this one? An elderly couple talks in the evening. Honey, I'm so sorry that I let out my anger at you so often. How do you manage to stay so calm with my foul mood? Any identifying with this? All right. I've always, she said, I always just go and I just clean the toilet when that happens. He says, and that really helps you? She said, absolutely, because I'm using your toothbrush. I want to preach today a title that excites me and should bless you, titled, Getting Even with Anger. Tap your neighbor and say, it's time to get even with anger. You see, part of what this series has been for us is a redefining of God's name in our hearts. Because if we're honest, most of us perceive God to be uh, an extension of what we've grown up knowing. So if you grew up in a home where uh, dad was heavy-handed or angry or frustrated a lot of the time, and that's how he responded in situations, you have, whether you like it or not, a subconscious reference that God must be like that. If he's also a father, then there's something like him in, or something like dad in him. And you don't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily say it like that, but you kind of intuitively live it out like that. Like when things go down, you have this moment where you're like, I hope he doesn't get because you've had that upbringing, all right? If you grew up in a home where dad or mom were incredibly generous and there was always excess and you were incredibly blessed, then when we talk about God, our father who's generous, perhaps for you it's easier to receive that idea. Perhaps it's easier to go, well, it makes sense. If dad is generous, how much more so could God be generous? Perhaps you grew up in a home that wasn't generous. Everything was tight and on budget, and there was never excess, and there was a poverty line that just seemed to keep capping and capping and capping. Then when you speak about God, part of you thinks that he's holding back his blessing until you prove yourself because you've got that mindset in you. All right, so whether we like it or not, or whether we're honest enough to admit it, we are calibrating for ourselves the, the nature of God in light of how we grew up, how we were taught, how we were trained, what's been fed to us, the church we grew up in, the school we grew up in, the family, the culture, perhaps even the language we grew up in has defined much of the nature of how we see God. But as one great writer said, the thing that comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. In fact, so important that it could actually define your destiny. So when I say, who is God to you? Before we mentioned Yahweh, see you've cheated Link Church. You've gone ahead now. You know who he is. That's why you're looking so good this morning. And you're all so fired up. Even though we lost the rugby, it's like, don't worry about the rugby. We're still good. Yahweh's on our side. But if I said to you, who's God to you? Before this series, what came to mind is the most important thing about you. Because it frames for you the way you relate to the highest being in your life and ultimately the direction and destiny of your future. Can you see why Yahweh and knowing His name has been so powerful? In fact, the name Yahweh, yod heh vah are the Hebrew letters. It literally means the open hand of grace nailed to the cross in grace. And so when God gives His name to Moses, He's already lining us up. Even though we read the story in hindsight, He's lining Moses up in His spirit, not knowing the perfect story, that there will come a day where the open hand of grace, the Yahweh, 
or put his nails on the cross and nail himself to the cross in grace that we would be set free. And God was giving you. See, if you don't know God is like that, then you live trying to prove yourself to God. But God today wants to reveal himself to you. It's not that you would show yourself to him. It's that you would let him, with open hearts today, Link Church, reveal himself to you. I want to speak about getting even with anger because if we're honest, many of the times in life where we feel we're going through a hard time, we perceive it to be God's judgment on us. It must have something to do with what I've not done. Therefore, God is holding back something until I can make it, what's the word, right, all right? Because we perceive God to get angry like us. But God doesn't get angry like us. You know, what, you know those like moments where you're like, God, why didn't you do this? And God, you didn't give me that. And God, why didn't you come through for me? I mean, I don't know if I'm the only guy that has those moments, but I have genuinely honest moments with God sometimes when I'm like a little bit questioning of his role in my life and a little bit questioning of when he's going to come through, like when we built this building and we need the finance to finish it, and when my kid is sick and I'm hoping that they're going to have a good night's sleep, amen, and I'm questioning God, where are you now, God? What about that promise back there you had over there? And you know what I found so powerful in this moment is while I'm freaking out, he's still Yahweh. That's the power of God. You see, we think that when we freak out, so does He, because that's how we are. We, we respond to emotional things in humanity with an emotional response in us. The word for slow to anger in this scripture, oh, you're going to be so blessed today, Link Church. The word for slow to anger in this scripture is a Hebrew kind of phrase that goes like this, Eric Apayim. Okay, I might be getting it slightly wrong. If you're Hebrew, bless you. I'm giving it my best go. Eric Apayim, which literally means slow to anger. But in Hebrew, they were very pictorial, all right? And so when they wrote words, they would give them word pictures because not everything written out in the Hebrew can be literally translated. Some things you have to kind of put imagination to and put context to and help make sense of. By the way, the Bible is so laid. I mean, yes, it's at face value, but there are layers and layers and layers of powerful truth in God's Word. And so let's not limit Him to what we've heard. Let's let Him speak to us through these layers. Eric Apayim, which literally means, get this, the word picture is long and nostril. Think about it. This is humanity trying to make sense of the slow-to-anger nature of God. So when you, when you and I get angry, we, we, we flare up, Right? Yeah, like everything, like spit, mouth, everything. We tense up. But if you're slow to anger, what happens? Long nostrils. It's the best they could do. I know, I'm just trying to help you. Bible's got some color in it, right? But what they're trying to say is he's not like us. He's not having a freak out. He's slow to anger. So we're going to talk about this a bit today. I'll start up by speaking about anger and anger. Anger the way we see it and anger the way he sees it. Because for sure he's slow to anger. He's Eric Apayim. There is, a, there is something in him that is angered, but he's slow. He's not like us. And so in Proverbs 14, 29, we see the opposite of anger. It's said like this, whoever is patient or Eric Apayim has great understanding. All right, it's a wisdom for life. Whoever is Eric Apayim has, patient, has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. How many of you know like quick tempers never go well for us? Like, like in the moment it feels great, but it never produces good results. But in essence, what he's saying is the opposite of a patient God, all right, is a quick-tempered God. 
most of us today are going to see that he's the exact opposite of how we perceive him. He's not quick to get angry with you. He's slow and patient. Eric Abayim. He's breathing in and letting you figure life out, and he's patient toward you as you come back to him. Proverbs 16, 32, we see a synonym of slow to anger. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, or he who is Eric Abayim is better than the mighty. And he who has the cinnamon, synonym rules his spirit. Cinnamon's good for pancakes, but not for preaching. He who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city is like he who takes a city, right? So what's he saying? The opposite of being slow to anger or Eric Abayim or the opposite of who God is, is just like us. We're quick to anger. And the thing that his slow to anger is synonymous with is to rule his spirit. He's able to exercise, he has the famous word, self-control. All right? Now, I know, I know you think you are, and I know you back yourself, and I know, but if we're honest, we don't have good self-control. And so we think that because that's how we are in situations, God must be similar. When we let him down, he's coming at us, but he's Yahweh. Do you know that God is not insecure with your insults? That's some good news for all of us. Like, he's not insecure with the last time you insulted him. God, you didn't understand me. Or the last time you blamed him. God, you could have fill in the blank. We've all had that moment. In fact, if you haven't, I would check your heartbeat. You may not be human. Because we often question, if we're honest, we question where God is at in seasons where we can't make sense. And so we question where, he, where he's at. But he's Eric Abayim. He's slow to anger. He's patient and kind. He's gracious and compassionate. That's who he is. And so he's not insecure. He doesn't need you to prop him up. He's okay just with himself. This is awesome news for us. And so I think God is trying to t- teach us that he is patient. Some words are in the Bible are things like long-suffering. He bears it out with us for long periods of time. I'm so grateful for that. Honestly, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that God gives me space to figure out parenting because I have messed that up a few times. I'm so grateful God gives me space to figure out what it means to be your pastor because I have messed that up a few times. I'm so grateful that God gives me space to figure out what it means if no one feels connected yet to be human because I've messed that up sometimes. I'm so grateful that he is Eric Apayim. He is slow to anger. He's not like me. Let me read an insert from this book. It's really powerful. It speaks about this anger and the way in which we see it. By the way, I think we have a few copies left. I'm not sure, maybe three or four outside. Go and grab your copy after the service if you want to read. He says it like this, the writer of this book. He says, our anger is almost always from a wounded ego. Somebody hurt us or made us feel stupid or took advantage of us or didn't do what we wanted. It's inherently selfish, even narcissistic. But Yahweh's anger is more like a parent-like love for his children, angry at the drug dealer for trying to take his children down a road that will destroy them. Our anger is usually unjust. It's disproportionate to the offense. Think of the theologian Cornelius P. Has he got a weird surname? I can't get there right now. All shots, listen to what he says, all shots in humanity are return fire, meaning human history is just an endless cycle of violence. He hit me, so I beat him to a pulp. He burned my barn, so I killed his wife. They flew planes into our skyscrapers. We invaded the country. He's American. He's talking about something close to home. But think about that. All of it, this is what he says. This is where the command of the Torah, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was millennia ahead of its time. Because the natural tendency when somebody gives you a black eye is to give them two. 
We say we want justice, but what we usually want is revenge. Think of how much we love revenge movies, where somebody goes on a rampage, somebody kidnaps Liam Neeson's daughter. We say we want justice, I love that, but what we actually want is revenge. Double up on what they gave you. Friends, God is not like us. He is just. He's not revengeful. And God will judge the unjust. God has and He will. We see stories of it in the Old Testament. I'm going to show you now how Jesus puts a pause on that as we delay it so that we could all come to know Him. But He will judge again. And He's not like us. He's not into revenge. And so even though we want it, He's not. He's, he's, our anger and His anger is not the same anger. One translation of Exodus 34 says it like this. This is so beautiful. It says, God is patient, the one who makes anger distant and brings compassion near. The one who makes anger distant. It's the last thing he thinks of. It's the, for us, it's like the first thing. We, we kind of slip up or somebody slips up. It's like, God, fix it. Or God, I need to be fixed. It's, it's, it, he pushes that to the distance. And he brings compassion. Rahun, vachanun. He brings mercy up front and close. You know, in the Old Testament, this is a freebie for you today just because it's a bonus edition of the series. In the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was carried around and believed to house the presence of God. And wherever the Ark went, God's people flourished, all right? And the whole point of the Ark was to say God's presence is the prize of His people, all right? The best thing you get by being a Christian is not, you know, the increase in business, although that'll come, or, you know, the wisdom for marriage, thank God that comes. It's actually the presence of God in your life. It's the greatest gift of the gospel, is the gift of God Himself. And so they would walk around with the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the covenant was kind of the ark was built, it was a sealed container, all right, and I won't go into the detail, but it was a sealed container, and on the top is what they call the mercy seat, all right, so once a year or every so often, priests would come into what they call the holy of holies, which is the place where only the priests could go, no one else would lie there, all right, only the high priest, he'd go into the holy of holies, and there would be the ark, beautifully protected, all right, because it was believed that not everyone had the privilege of going there. So the priest would go in, and he would sacrifice a lamb, because that was the system, the trade-off. Something has to be sacrificed, a perfect lamb. And then we sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and then the priest, what they, what they believed was God would only see the blood. He wouldn't see what's below. And then the priest would go out and say, we're good for the next run, guys. All right? And so it was a system of sacrifice. Now, when Moses gets the commandments, I want you to get this. It's going to put life in your spirit. When Moses gets the commandments, he gets them two times. He writes them on tablets of stone, all right? Well, they are written on tablets of stone. He goes down the mountain the first time, and before he even gets to the bottom, he breaks them. Because the truth is, we can't uphold God's perfect law, all right? The second time he gets them, he's going down, and guess what God says? Moses, this time around, before you mess it up again, like, I want you to put the tablets of stone inside the Ark of the Covenant, all right? And so Moses goes, and he takes the Ten Commandments, and he puts them inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, they weren't ever meant to open the Ark of the Covenant. It was meant to stay sealed, because what would happen, remember what I said? Blood was sprinkled. What's inside doesn't matter. There was other things inside that were representative of certain aspects of humanity. But when he sees the blood, he sees forgiveness, all right? And so the commandment gets put inside the Ark, all right? And what's above the commandment? What they call the mercy seat, what do the commandments do to us? When we get them wrong, they judge us. It's like holding up a mirror, Ten Commandments. Like, 
You know, like, just go home right now, hold up the Ten Commandments. You tell me how that makes you feel. You're going to realize very quickly you feel terrible, right? Because we break them frequently, even when we try not to. They were designed in some ways to uphold God's standards, but also to break us that we would need Him. We need another way out, and that's Jesus, all right? And so it's like a mirror. And so inside the box, inside the ark, was basically the judgment of humanity according to the commandments. And above the ark was the mercy seat, which is a picture of Jesus. Rahanun, vachanun, we spoke about last week. Here's Here's what I want to leave with you today. Mercy triumphs over judgment every time. You see, it depends how you hear Yahweh. God is judging people so that they would know Him. No, God is helping people know them so that they would release the judgment that's on them. It's always the other way around. If humanity would do this, God would do that. No, because God's done this, humanity responds like this. Yahweh, slow to anger. He makes the anger distant. He puts mercy above judgment. He makes the anger distant, and he brings compassion near. Now, both of you, or all of us, know that Jesus is a picture of God coming near. Listen to this in um, John 1.17. Let's talk a bit about judgment and Jesus. Judgment and Jesus. John 1.17 says, For the law, or judgment, was given through Moses. Grace and truth, rahonun vahonun, came through Jesus. So the law was given from a distance, impersonally, through Moses, Grace and truth came personally in the life of Jesus Christ. When you live your life trying to prove yourself to God, He's always distant. But when you let God approve of you through Jesus and you let yourself be loved, it's one of the greatest challenges of humanity, strangely, is just to let yourself be loved by your Creator. When you let yourself be loved, grace comes near. Bible says in John 1.17 that the law was given from a distance. Grace came in Jesus. So we see that this idea of slow to anger is actually played out in the life of Jesus. God puts anger off, and he brings compassion there in the life of Jesus. Jesus was compassionate. We spoke a bit about where's the fire a few weeks ago. WTF, remember that? Where's the fire, God? Where's the judgment? But fire can mean two things, judgment and purification. And what God does is he reserves judgment on his people so he can purify their hearts, so he can give them what he promised. You see, there is an unfolding in our church. We're coming to realize God is not angry with us. He's angry at the devil. You, you, okay, let's keep going. Jesus came near. All right? So watch this. In Isaiah 61, we get a prophetic word of Jesus. This is the one who will come. And and the scripture goes like this. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, tell prisoners that they are prisoners, captives that they are free, blind they give sight, healing they give restoration. We've probably heard that, quoted it, claimed it, preached it, done whatever we can to receive it. And at the end of Isaiah 61, as he speaks of Jesus' coming, this is what it says. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Tap your neighbor and say favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. This is Isaiah prophesying Jesus. So we got favor, all right, and we got vengeance. Jesus in Luke 4 quotes the exact same scripture, but leaves out a very important line. Jesus stands up, unravels the scroll, reads, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He lists, 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 and he gets to this moment, he goes, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of, no, he leaves that out. Jesus stands up in the temple In a moment where he is going to now reveal this moment where Jesus, the one who's going to set people free and put sight back in the blind and, you know, 
lift the weary, and he's like, and he puts faith, proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, and then it says he rolls up the scroll and he sits down. Why? Friends, we do not live under judgment. We live under favor. Jesus is God's compassion coming near, and judgment or anger is pushed to a distance. There will be a day of judgment. We don't have time to talk about that today. It's not important for this message. What is important is we don't live under judgment. We live under favor. Jesus was judged for us that we could enjoy the favor that was reserved for him. And so when God says, I'm slow to anger, what he's saying is my son will come and he will bring grace, the Bible says, upon grace. You will live under freedom and favor when you live with the belief that Jesus has done it all. Not if you're thinking that you have something to offer, then for sure you're going to live in the wrong space. But if you believe Jesus has done it all, you will find yourself living in a space of freedom and forgiveness and favor upon favor upon favor upon favor. You know, my girls at school at the moment, they're learning the Ten Commandments, and the other day she was teaching me them, and I smiled. She said, why are you smiling? I said, because, baby, those things have been done away with. They're still in line, but Jesus has made it better for us. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, he fulfilled those so that we could have him. And she's like, I don't get that. I said, just receive it. Isn't that good news? She's like, yeah, because it was getting quite hectic thinking about what I was going to have to do for the rest of my life. And I'm telling you, friends, the goal in life, for sure, God wants us to be holy as He is holy. The Bible says that. But holiness does not come by us upholding His law. Holiness comes by trusting in Jesus who upheld it for us. It takes not just the pressure of us, but the performance of us. This story is not about us. It's all about Jesus. And so we live in a day of favor. You tell me, Dill, well, um, I like this. Makes me feel great, but I just don't know that Jesus brought only good things. Because I, I know the one story from Sunday school when Jesus walked into the temple and he turned the tables upside down. And it says that he was angry. So I know you're telling me that one day he's going to do something, but I'm telling you he did it when he was here. I read it. I saw it. I, I was in Sunday school. We sat cross-legged and listened intensely to wonder what was going to happen to us when he got angry with us, right? Anyone in Sunday school? Like it was in that moment that kids left Sunday school and never came back, and yet we try and preach it to adults and expect a different response. You know what I'm saying? Like the moment you teach your kids, he got so angry, he just flipped the tables. By the way, Jesus is angry. Kids are like, I don't know if I want to be like, do life with Jesus is angry. And then, and then we think like, but maybe one day when they grow up, we can help them realize that if they just like, you know, get their fear factor right with God, they will toe the right line, but it doesn't. It still chases people away. So let's talk about that verse. Let's go and read it together. This is going to help you today. Mark chapter 11 is the story of Jesus turning the tables. If you've heard the story before, I hope to bring you light in it for you today. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts again, and he began driving out those that were buying and selling there. Most of us read that as business, and while that is a component of it, I want to show you that wasn't the issue at hand, all right? He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, is it not written, sorry, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. This was the first move they started making toward his crucifixion, and it came from him judging them on behalf of what they were doing in the temple. What were they doing in the temple? They were doing business still. I don't think that's what they were doing in the temple. It looks like that on the outside, but let's get some context to the story, all right? What they were doing is, when people would come to bring sacrifice, remember I mentioned the sacrificial system, they would bring their prized lamb. It was part of their worship to God. They'd bring their prized lamb. And religious rulers or the hierarchical religious rulers of that day would then have people come in, honest people, trying to bring God their best. And they would look at the lamb or the sacrifice and they'd go, that's not good enough. Some of them would bring money and they'd go, that money doesn't count here. And then what they would say is, but we have something that does count here and we can give it to you at 10 times the value of what you just brought in. In other words, you can buy the blessing you came to receive and you're not going to buy it for the equal price. You're going to buy it for 10 times the amount and the money is not going to go to heaven. The money is going to go to our pockets. And so they were building their success on the backs of God's people. That's what was going on in the temple. And so people were bringing their best to God as best they can, arriving at church, like admitting, we don't have it all worked out, God. We don't have our family all together, but we're here, and we're generous as far as we can be, and we're serving as far as we can. But honestly, God, this is, this is the most we can bring. That would be like me coming to you and saying, that's not enough, sir. In fact, that money, why don't you keep it? I can offer you a better deal, but it's going to cost you 10 times the amount to stay in this church. All right, instead of coming to church two times next month, which is all you can do because you're a traveling business person and your family is dispersed and it's difficult, I say to you, two times is not good enough. And I put the judgment on you and I say, next month come eight times and that will make it okay. You ever felt that system in play? Ever grown up in a system that's like this? This is what's going down in the temple. And Jesus spins the tables because people are building their success on the back of his own people. And so it's not actually about business. It's about bullying. It's not about money. You know, if the church just stopped paying so much attention to business and the church is all a money-making racket and the church is all, I've heard so many versions of this story. I mean, you would, you would expect that. We have an amazing building, incredible facility. People have a lot to say. This church has become the temple of market or the marketplace temple. People say the craziest things. Maybe you've thought it. Don't worry about it. I'm okay. I'm trying to like lean into God, not you. All right, so what I'm saying is, though, this should help you. It's not about money. It's about manipulation. It's not about the business aspect. It's about the fact that it's bullying God's people. Which means it's not just about churches doing business. It's about how you do business. Which means it's not just about the church's system, it's about how you trade off in life. You see, we read it like it's all about the church, but remember what Jesus said, the church is the gathering of the saints. It's not the four walls, it's where you are, whenever you are, wherever you are. Which means if you're building your success on the back of somebody else's sacrifice, he's disappointed with it. Now, listen, don't, don't, don't worry, it's probably not for us this morning, but what I want to say is this angers God. What angers God? When God's people are oppressed. When you are oppressed, it angers God. Not when you're frustrated with Him. That doesn't anger Him. He's still okay with that. Not when you let Him down by sinning. That pays its own price. Somebody once said, sin has its own consequence, obedience its own reward. So it's not when you've done something that's created a consequence that you wished wouldn't be the case. It's not about the mistakes you've made. God isn't angered by that. They have their own consequence. They play out their own ways. We all know the mistakes we've made that have played out to hurt us. That's not God's anger. 
That's just the system. That's just the natural, if they call that passive anger. He had nothing to do with it. You brought it upon yourself, right? But God is not angered by you being frustrated by Him. He's angered when His people are broken down. He's angered when humanity is oppressed. He's angered by the wicked. He's angered by the sexual abuse that's rife in this nation. He's angered by it. He's not okay with it. I I want you to hear, God does get angry, but it's not about the anger that's an emotional response to the bad day you had. It's angry toward the oppression of His people. God's not okay with His people being oppressed, which includes you, which means when society writes a note of your life, they are fill in the blank. Da, 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 da. And what it does is it oppresses you. It breaks you down. It makes you feel like you're nothing. You ever had that? For sure you have. We live in that world. The devil's after us by condemning us. God's angered by that. No, devil. These are my children. These are my born creation. I have good things for them. Plans to prosper them and to give them a future and a hope. And others have said things, but I've got good things. He's angered by the negative over our lives. So what's the point? He's not fighting you. He's fighting for you. That's different. God is not fighting with you. He's fighting for you. And you may feel like you're fighting with God. He's not fighting with you. He's fighting for you. I felt God say to me that the story of the marketplace was that they were making God's people slaves to a religious system rather than sons of a relational God. Slaves to a religious system, like, like there's a certain amount of visits to church that will guarantee you a bigger blessing. Like there's a certain amount of money which you give that will attract more of his attention. Like there's a certain amount of scriptures that you recite over your lives. All these are good things that will win you a greater inheritance in heaven. I just don't think God thinks like us. And that's the religious system of slaves. Because once you start living like that, there's no end. Once you feel like it's a trade-off system, I bring my best, God trades off with me, I pay him extra, he trades off again, I pay him extra, you're in a religious system, there's no end. But relational intimacy is different. I come to God with nothing and he gives me everything. You know, one of the greatest not tensions, but revelations I've had in my life is that the Christian life isn't about significance, it's about surrender. Because if we're honest, we want to be significant for God. We build big businesses for you, Jesus. I want my family to count for you. We start quoting Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's about our significance. But I've come to realize, friends, that our significance is short-lived because it's in human effort, but surrender has got a long game. God, I do want to build my house and serve the Lord, but honestly, I just need you, Jesus, to come through in this moment because we're taking strain. And I do want to build a church that transforms the nation and has political influence and changes this landscape and shapes culture. And I want all these things. Church, you know my dream. You know my heart. But I'm not going to get there by trying to be significant. I believe God is going to take us there through authentic surrender. Jesus, this story is your story. These people are your people. God, I'm not going to break their backs to win my success. Let me talk to someone in this room today. That's why they call him the good shepherd. Because a good shepherd feeds his sheep. He doesn't beat the sheep. I believe God is calling us to live in a day in the life of this church and this nation where when we speak of God or Jesus or Yahweh, 
there is an understanding that he is gentle and kind and compassionate toward us and slow to anger, and he's feeding us, not beating us. Most of you don't need 10 steps to fix your business. You need some food to satisfy your soul. By the way, we call this system condemnation. It's the devil's game. It makes you think that you haven't got enough to be good with God and that there's something you need to still add. Now, I know God's blessing you right now. I know every time we preach the message of Jesus and the story of the gospel and no condemnation, I know what happens is all the rules that we've governed our lives by start to get pushed one side. Anger gets pushed to a distance and compassion comes near. And let me tell you, a heart that is loved is a heart that has got potential. A heart that is loved is a heart that's powerful. You know, marriage is when a wife feels loved. It's like, it's the most beautiful thing because she just seems to have this confidence. And you know, the opposite is also true. But the church can be like that sometimes. We're the bride of Christ. And sometimes we're walking around like wounded, like he's beating us up. No, that's the devil. Jesus is building us up. Jesus is building us. us. Jesus sees us as beautiful. Jesus sees us as chosen. Jesus sees us as set apart. Jesus, he doesn't see your sin. It says he's removed them, past, present, and future. So the issue is not sin. The issue is condemnation. You think there's still something that you have to do for There isn't, friends. I came here to tell you today that judgment has been delayed, and Jesus has come to give us a day of favor. And yes, there will be judgment, but there is a season on our lives of grace upon grace upon favor upon favor. And guess what? When grace gets in your spirit, holiness becomes your life. It's not true that when you live under God's favor, you do as you please. That's not true. Because knowing what God has done for me, let me just tell you my story. I give him everything daily, as best as I can. I don't deserve to have the family I have and lead the church I lead and live in the place I live. I'm well aware this was by God's grace. And so significance got tossed a long time ago. This story is one of surrender. You see, grace produces surrender. When you understand Jesus' freedom, it produces surrender. If you're standing like this going, I don't know about this deal. I'm just, I'm just not happy with this situation. You are limiting the blessing of God in your life until you go, actually, Bill, it's a good idea. I'm just going to surrender my marriage now. And I'm going to surrender my business. I'm going to surrender my preconceived religious ideas. I'm just going to go, you know what, God? You're slow to anger and you're gracious and compassionate. That's a little different to what I thought. And I'm just going to start to live in that. And when you do, everything changes. Everything changes. All right, let's close with this idea. This is the temple story, right? Don't be bullying what God has blessed. That's what I have to tell you today. Don't be bullying what God has blessed. That includes the people around you. But then Paul goes on to say, we are his temple. Whoa. The story about Jesus turning tables was not about what happened back then with Jesus turning tables. It's what he's wanting to do in our hearts. Because if that was the temple that was physical, remember, it's been replaced by the spiritual temple, which is us. Let me read it to you. It's going to help you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, Paul says it like this. Don't you know that you yourselves, tap your heart and say, that's me, that's me. 
We are God's temple, and the God's Spirit dwells in our midst. If anyone destroys or bullies God's temple, God will destroy that person. Who's the one destroying our temple? The devil, right? And when, they, when he does that, God will destroy him. Because if God's temple is sacred, then together we are his temple. So let's recap a bit, then I'll close with an analogy that will help us all go home strong. Yahweh is slow to anger. He makes anger distance. And he brings compassion near. Jesus is that compassion personified. His anger is not like ours in response to a wounded ego, but rather it's in response to people's hearts or the temple being turned into a place of bullying and manipulation. So when your heart is being tormented by bullying and the devil's lies and people's thoughts that have governed your outcomes for so long, he is angered toward that and he wants to make it right. We are the temple. And so we put aside the notion that there's a price to pay and we let his price bring us into his presence. We enter boldly, boldly. When you come to church, don't warm up with song number one. It's like, hey, this is always the happy song. So I'm gonna drink my coffee. They can do a happy song. Song number two, I'm gonna pull in here. It's gonna be a little bit more intense. You know, hey, by song number three, it's awesome. Hallelujah, praise the one who saved my soul. Listen, guys, by song three, I'm already feeling like I'm going to the moon every year. I'm so excited because I've entered boldly. I'm not waiting for like three, four, five songs and a few lines to get me fired up for God. I'm arriving fired up because there's nothing I have to do to bring myself closer to Him. I dream of a church that's kicking down the door to worship on a Sunday. Last night, we had a concert here in this church, Bok von Black. He was a great blessing. Some of you were there. You can hear the screams from the crowds. You were probably lung-arming and soaking down the aisles. It was awesome. But people literally were kicking down the doors to get to the front chairs. And I thought, man, for a human celebrity, how much more for the Son of God will we kick down doors to step into the presence of God and worship Him with authority and worship Him with audacious faith? God, I'm not holding back. You're everything to me. My girls um, and family, you would have noticed them running around this church, or perhaps not because they just treat it like one big home. They're not like in their little room and I'm in my little room. This is their home. That's everything. When you guys leave, they come up here, they play drums. They call their friends. That you know, they're like, you're going to jump on the keys today. Okay, and then, then they do this, and then they say, welcome to Link Church. And, you know, they do their thing, and they role play church. And some, some parents walk, and they're like, hey, keep your kids away. You know, keep your kids away. Like, keep your, hey, just get down. That's expensive equipment. Like, just, just get down. That's expensive equipment. I'm like, no, but this is their house too. Let them play. They could be our next worship leaders. See what I'm saying? We're so governed by thinking. The other day, I heard my daughter. They always ask for hot chocolates on a Sunday. We do deadly hot chocolates here at One Lamb. Apparently, I don't drink. I drink good coffee. And they're always asking for hot chocolates. The other day, one of their friends clearly wanted one, and I overheard it from a distance. They're like, no, nah, mom, mom and dad said, I don't have money here today. We can't get it. My daughter leans to her, and she goes, don't worry, I put it on my dad's account. <laughs> you would think that would make me, like not angry, but like frustrated. It got me so fired up that she thinks I'm that generous that I wouldn't even have an issue with it. Like I was more excited that she realized dad has access to things that can bless her. 
man, I wonder if we could arrive with a church knowing dad has access to things that could bless us. Like, I know your dad had rituals and rules and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm not saying God just throws it out there, but he gives us access to things we don't deserve. There is an account that heaven has run over my life that honestly I could never pay for. That's by the grace of Jesus. And there's an account that heaven wants to run over your life, in your businesses, in your marriages, in your schools, in your families, that has got nothing to do with what you brought to the party and everything to do with the party that took place in heaven when Jesus rose from the grave and did it once and for all. Stand with me, stand with me. Oh, we are going to sing this song. We are going to sing this song today. We're talking about the temple of our hearts here. And I get a sense that many of us have been bullied inside. I'm not talking about physical bullying or the stuff that's taking place in your circumstance. We'll talk about that another time. I'm talking about your heart being bullied. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. Jesus loves you a little bit, but he loves them more. That's a lie. That's bullying. That's manipulation. It's like you're going to buy back the blessing of heaven. I want to speak to that for just a moment. God, I believe that every heart in this room has been called by you to be blessed by you. Jesus, they've been created as a temple, a temple of blessing, a temple of encounter with your presence, God. And I just thank you, Jesus, that today as we see your anger toward the oppression on God's people, we'll come into this place now and we'll turn over the tables that have held back God's people, that have held us back from encountering you, that has held us back from knowing your love, that have held us back from experiencing your generosity, God. Turn the tables over now. Clear out the temple of our hearts, God, so that we could receive your blessing and your promise and your presence. Jesus, we know that that day that you rose, that resurrection moment, it wasn't for nothing. It was to buy back, pay a price, put in our hearts the very thing that you bought us for, God, which is your love and acceptance and forgiveness. And I just speak that of your people. I speak hearts to come alive now, Jesus. I thank you that religious spirits would come off and relationship would come alive as people encounter you in this place today. In Jesus' name, everybody said...